Tonight's going to be fun. Um, I asked Lisa to preach, and she said she doesn't have a full hour. I thought, I can't believe that. I've heard her preach before. Uh, she's preached at me for an hour without notes. I know what she can do. So tonight I went, well, I actually have something, but I don't think it's going to take an hour. But So we're going to get two, two Valentine's Day sermons. So the first thing we're going to do in just a minute, I'm going to show you a video of a guy named, I think her name is Denise, Danielle Haig. And about several months ago, I began to pray to have a lot more information on the family and marriage. Um, there's a lot of good information out there, but I, I've been looking for somebody that I can look at people and go, go, on, go online and watch this lady. This lady is a, is a Christian, and she, her and her church, husband pastor church for 40 years in California, plus she travels. And I'm just going to show you a little clip from her, probably two of them or three of them, not sure yet. But um, if you want to know a little bit more about how to get your husband to do what you want him to do, she's good at it. And um, how to treat your wife, she's good at it. And she's a lot of fun to listen to. So if you have marriage issues, it's easier to watch someone online because they don't know who you are. So anyway, I'm going to let her start, and then uh, we'll take off from there. So... Let's go, Daniel, for, for a couple of minutes. Here's, here's a challenge for you. Try this. For the next five days, instead of criticizing, nitpicking, and nagging your husband about something, try five days of genuinely complimenting him for all the little things he does and for who he is as a man. Did you get that? Don't just compliment for what he does, but who he is. And just see which of the criticism still seem important and which ones were dealt with by your husband without you bringing constant attention to them. I just dare you to try it. Here's a challenge for you. Okay, try go, to the next one. go to the next one. A man will never make you happy. And if you're looking to one for your happiness, you're going to end up very disappointed. Now hear me out. Even though men hold themselves accountable for their wife's happiness, it's really not their responsibility. Your personal happiness is your own responsibility. Happiness is an internal state of mind. It comes from within, not from external circumstances. Until you understand that, you're never truly going to be satisfied with any man, no matter how handsome, tall, smart, funny, or rich he is. Y'all can't have me. Okay, is there one more? Is there one People more? People call me old school not in touch with the times, straight out of the 1950s. I welcome it. In the 1950s, women still respected and valued men. The divorce rate was nowhere where it is now. In a culture where men are devalued, demoralized, diminished, and emasculated for being a man, where masculinity is considered toxic, well, you no wonder marriages are falling apart. Masculinity is not toxic. The lack of it is. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? She's sharp. Now, I've listened to her. You know, I had the, the men thing tonight. I listened to some of them where she was talking about the men and their wives. And she helped me with something that I never knew about women. I've always been a little concerned that every time we and Lisa get in a conversation, she starts asking me questions. And I, I've always taken it as maybe you're challenging me? She says, no, women are detailers. It's just the way God made women. And she's very good at showing men how women are made and how men, women, how men are made. And quit trying to change them, work with the way God made them. So anyway, we got a, we got a marriage thing coming up in church here. And I don't know when I'm going to start it called Happy Home. And I've had a lot of people look at me and go, when are you going to start that? So it lets me know that I'm on the right track. Amen. Okay, go to the Bible, go, get in your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 5, because since it's Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about love. And we're going to talk about the Greek words for love, not the English word for love, because there's only one. I love my, I love Jesus, and I love ice cream. Well, that's not exactly the same love I have for ice cream I do for the Lord. 
But in the Greek language, the word, there's four words. One of them is phileo, stor, storge, eros, and agape. And we're going to start off with that, and then we're going to talk a little bit about um, what, what married love is and what it isn't. I won't go into great, great detail. So Ephesians 5:22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. We're going to talk about that word in just a minute. Drop all the way down to 33. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular love his own wife as himself and let the wife see she respects or reverences her husband. We live in a society today that the, the young adults are not getting the training that they got at one time. Number one reason is the home is more dysfunctional now than it ever has been. If you're patterning your marriage after your parents, you probably left home with a big gap in your knowledge. I did. I grew up in a, my mother, a single family. My father, because he's a Marine Corps pilot, came home an alcoholic. And so I grew up without a dad. Lisa's family, um, had, she had a mom and a dad. But because of her mother, her mother was abused as a girl. Most people don't know that. And um, it affected Martha. Martha loved God, loved Jesus on fire for God. But because of her issues, there there's things that weren't taught in the family. They weren't taught at home. And so when we got married, we still had a great learning curve to do, even Lisa and I. And we've worked through a lot of things and gone through things and prayed about things. But but I found out early on that, that a lot of young ladies, are they have a good heart. But they don't, there's a lot they don't know. So the Bible says that older women should teach the younger women to love their husbands. And men today need to learn how to love and treat a woman. And because of that, we need to have a whole month on it. But we're not doing that right now. So let me give you a definition. Respect, it says, wives, respect your husbands. Regard, esteem with reverence of worth. Pay attention, esteem of honor, goodwill, favor, and consideration to be in all. I don't know too many women do that. There are out there. And a lot of them don't. A lot of women end up trying to change their husband into their girlfriend. And the man gets frustrated. He's like, I'm a man. Okay. All right. Now let's, so the word, um, Reverence to be on all, exceedingly reverent. Now, and then it says, wives, um, husbands love your wives. That's the Greek word agape. It means to be moral toward her. That's powerful. That's a, that's a powerful definition. Do, do right by her. Be a moral man. She shouldn't wonder where you are and what you're doing. Call her when you're going to be late. In other words, be moral. Don't do anything you wouldn't, you know, whatever you want someone to do to you, be that way towards your wife and treat her well. So there's a lot more to that. So I, I, I wanted to start off with this uh, because of the four Greek words. Now, let me, let me read them to you again. Phileo, storge, eros, and agape. When we, when we watch movies today, and I mentioned this at the wedding the other day, um, movies are a terrible place to learn about marriage, especially Hallmark. And I know that upsets people because they think there, there's, there's, there's really not much there other than attraction. But if you're going to get married, you need attraction. But if you think that's going to keep you going, it is not. And there needs to be affection. 
But affection's not enough to keep you going. There needs to be, they like you. They, they actually are compatible with you. But that's not enough to keep you going. The only thing that can keep you going is that you don't need just one or two or three kinds of love. You need all four of them in a marriage. And you need agape, and that's the God kind of love that doesn't quit when things aren't going right. That's the, that's the point in your marriage where it's going to work. If the man loves God and the woman loves God, there's a real high um, likelihood this marriage is going to last. And every one of you that have been married or are married ought to be saying amen right now. And we all know you've had your discussions. Is that the right word, discussions? Arguments, fights. Okay, I can't pick everything because I don't have a lot of times. I'm going to pick one area that husbands and wives have issues that would help them immensely to make it. What do you think it is? I know you're allowed to guess, but you're afraid. Prayer, Prayer, that's good. Communication. He don't listen to a thing I say. I might as well be talking to the wall. I know none of y'all have ever experienced this. Never. So I might as well sit down right now. (laughs) No, let's talk about communication for a minute because it is probably one of the single most important things you'll ever go through. It's not enough. It's okay that you don't know. It's okay that you don't agree on everything. But you have to learn how to talk. You have to learn to sit with somebody you're married to and go, we need to talk. And those are, you know, those are the times when you feel like you're being called into the principal's office. But they have to happen. Because there's no way that you were raised knowing everything. How do you get married and no marriage? You don't. We have counseling sessions before marriage. We have counseling sessions after marriage. After you've gotten through the goo-goo stage. You know, I like to tease men and go, you do know that the white horse you rode in is going to be plowing soon, don't you? Okay, never mind. I knew that'd go over real well. So anyway, I want to talk about communication. Um, Let me see if I got something written down right here. I think I do. There is several areas that when you're married, you really need to focus in on, and this is one of them. You need to listen to what the other person is saying in order to show them you care. I'm just going to stop right there and let you think. Why would anybody want to hear what you have to say with while they're talking, you're thinking of what you're going to say. Apparently, what they say doesn't mean anything to you. So if you don't care about what they say, why do you continue with the conversation? I find that the most difficult thing to do is when someone has a problem with you, me, to listen to what they have to say and not to defend myself. Maybe Lisa has something to say. Maybe I don't know everything. Maybe my heart's right and my head is not. Maybe I need to be corrected. Y'all can say amen if you want to. I'm only picking on myself. So how are you ever going to learn anything if nobody can tell you anything? Is that not love? It is love. So let me read. Boy, y'all are quiet. You can say amen. You did the other. I mean, you you just need to get on fire right now. (laughs) When a person communicates, they make themselves vulnerable. Did you know that? They They are opening their heart to you. This is not the time to trash it. This is the time to have enough love and respect to say, I'm listening. 
whether you agree or not, listen. Now listen with the intent that if your spouse asks you, you could tell them what they just said. If you can't repeat back what they said, you didn't hear what they said. Why would they want to continue? Because if you have a one-sided conversation, you don't have a marriage. So after, you need to understand this. Once you've decided you're going to sit with your spouse and have a talk, are you ready for them to talk and do the same? Well, y'all are so quiet, I can't wait to give this to Lisa. This is the reason why there's so much divorce. There's way too much pride. You know how that made me feel? I'm going to get on the side of men for a minute. Men were not designed to go by the... They don't ever think how it made them feel. They think, is that logical? And so when you say that to a man, his brain goes, no. I don't have any idea how that made you feel. But what you just said is not logical at all. And she's like, I'm going to see my mother. Okay. But it's the way God made a man. It's the way God made a woman. And you've got to know who you're talking to. And if you're going to get through to him, you're going to have to learn how to carry on a conversation because he may answer you. And you may have to walk away and go, did I marry the right guy? Which everybody has done. Everybody I have met has done it. Okay. Okay. So I have a book here. It has nothing to do with marriage. It's on leadership. But it's very, very powerful. So are you ready? Are you ready, Karen Brown? Because you need this. No, Karen Brown's, Karen Brown's sweet. Listening requires one to focus on what's been said. When I talk about listening, I'm referring to the moment when a person quiets their mind, shuts their mouth. You mean to stay there for a while? Be quiet. Some people have to go home and go, increase my faith. And deliberately listen and digest what someone else is attempting to communicate. Now, understand this. There are times our wives say things and we go, what are you trying to say? Because the wavelength is so different than the way I think. I don't even understand what you're trying to say. And so you have to learn to listen and then ask questions. Is this what's going on? Lisa will go, no, that's not what I said. Okay, that's what I heard. So let's go back over what you said. And I'll find out that her English is different than mine. So Lisa and I were on the way to church tonight. We were talking about friends we have that are from other churches. And I made a comment to a man the other day. And he was wanting to know about certain people in his church that they were not doing right. And I said, well, you know, the, the gospel is the power of God, brother. And I looked at Lisa and I said, why do you think he doesn't get it? She said, honey, your definition of the gospel and his are two different things. I went, snap, you're right. I have a charismatic tongue-talking devil chasing holy rolling faith and word definition of the gospel. He has to come to Jesus, go to heaven gospel. Yep. Feed the poor, love the, love the you know, and, and, and he's not wrong, but we don't, but the word means something totally different to him than it does. Sometimes when you're married, you realize that your words don't carry the same weight with the other person. So sometimes you have to sit and ask questions until you get on the same page. It's called being married. I found out that most of the dumb things Lisa has done, she did them ignorantly. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? We had a time when we first got married, and I told the story before, and I only tell on my dumb stuff. I don't tell on hers. I planned a night out, and I'll tell you why I planned it. I had a romantic evening planned. I was so looking forward to this night. 
I got a place at a restaurant, an Italian restaurant, the best in town. And then, I don't know where else was I going to take you? To a movie, to a movie. Well, she wanted to stop at Walmart for a minute. <laughs> you know what 60 seconds is to me? 60 seconds. You know what a minute? We have a different definition of a moment. Yeah, she was only in there 45 minutes. But it was not until after we went to Thai to drop off some clothes to be hemmed for a moment. The, the, by time... By, by time we got to the movies, it had started, so I skipped it and went to the restaurant, which I had reservations, and we had none when I got there. So I happened to mention it to her. The rest of the night, forget it. I slept on the couch. Now you know I'm right. All right, now listen. I'm being facetious. I'm being facetious. Because I could not imagine how in the Sam Hill anybody could not understand that this is an important night. So Lisa comes at me with this, with this, baby, I'm with the kids all day and I get out of the house, I got things I need to do. And I'm like, yeah, but right now is not the time to do it. Now, you understand, my romantic night turned into, yeah, yeah. So anyway, nonetheless, I went home and uh, I had to give some, I did some serious praying over her. And this was my conclusion. The next time you take her out, ask her what she wants to do, ask her where she wants to eat, and tell her you would like to be home earlier than usual. <laughs> Did I learn anything? Did I learn anything? So listen to me. Next time we went out, I said, where do you want to go? And I said, I have a restaurant, but if you go to Walmart, we'll go to Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm not doing this again. Do you need to go to the tailor? I said, listen, I got a movie. We'll rent it at home. But I have one request. Can we be home by nine? I have other plans. Never mind. Some of y'all look at me like a dog at a new bowl. <laughs> okay, it's called, I'm on the subject of communication. What I'm trying to say is that sometimes you need to spend enough time whenever you have a problem to walk in and go, honey, this is what I was thinking. What were you thinking? And let her talk because she might not be being bad. She might just be frustrated and thank God I'm away from the kids for a while. And that's exactly what she was thinking. I'm away from the kids. We've got a babysitter. Glory to God, I get to get some stuff done. So you have to understand, sometimes you need to ask questions. Sometimes you need to let people talk. Are y'all okay with all that? All right. There's better, there's better stories, but I have to watch what I say. Because some of it, they're under the blood. This is him talking. He said, through the years, I've had to train myself to be a listener, to make sure I've really heard the point being made. I often stop and repeat the conversation the person speaking to me. Um, uh, people are also prevented from really hearing what someone's telling them when they assume they already know what the person is trying to communicate. That's very, very wrong. Okay. The other thing is, is that when you're, when you're talking, when you're communicating, don't, and I want to say this to people who just got married, don't assume you know everything about men or women, and don't assume you know everything about marriage, because you married someone different, and, and we have, in our society today, we have a lot of unrealistic expectations. When we do marriage counseling, we pull the guy and the girl in there and we sit down and talk to them about the difference between movies and real life. You married a real human. 
This is not a movie. And even the movie stars aren't doing good at their marriages, except on screen. Yeah, don't, don't, don't follow the movie. The movie was written by somebody. The girl that wrote Pride and Prejudice, you do know she never got married. She never found Mr. Darcy. I study these things out because I want to know. Okay. All right. James says you need to be slow to speak. The word slow, I'm not going to get into that. You need to be slow to speak. Sometimes when I speak to people, I see that they're in a hurry for their, to turn their response and add their comments, that they're really digesting what I'm telling them. They need to learn to slow down and stop being in such a hurry. Then I'll, I'll be able to hear what's being communicated to the end of the conversation. When you withhold your comments and force yourself to listen to your spouse, you are showing respect. The time you speak or ask questions after they are finished talking, if you're afraid you won't remember what you want to say, Take notes and write it down. I've done this to Lisa. I'll interrupt her and I'll say, oh, you said something and I got to answer. She goes, no, you don't. So I've learned to break a notepad in there. Because I want to remember, I want to say something about what she said. Don't think that everything that you're thinking is correct. It may not be right. Okay. I'll give you another reason why it's good to be slow to speak. If you wait a few minutes before you ask a question, you'll probably get answered in the course of the conversation. One way to look, to look really stupid in front of someone else is to make statements that reveal your ignorance. So save them. Amen. Proverbs 18.13 says, He that answers a matter before he hears it, is, it is folly and shame to him. Learn to withhold your comments while others are talking. Give yourself the opportunity to hear the entire matter before you respond. Slow your mind down. Discipline your emotions to be quiet. Keep your mouth closed while others are making their point. And once you have fully heard what they have to say, respond. This is part of learning and listening and becoming a good communicator and almost say a good spouse. Now, it's very difficult to hold a conversation with any human being that has their fingers in their ear. I want you to remember that. I won't mention names. I was with a person, and Lisa was with them. Mark Hankins, do y'all believe in correction? Do you believe that people should be corrected? I was having, was it lunch with Mark? I think it was lunch. And he leaned over at me and he said, you talk too much. I didn't do that. You know what? I'm fine with being corrected. If I'm doing something stupid, I want, show me I'm being stupid. I don't want to stay stupid. So I walked away and went, okay. And, it, and I began to think about what he said to me. I thought, every time I go out, I, I, I hate dead space. If you're talking in pause, I should pick up. And I've always been that way until Mark. So the next day we went out with Mark and Trina. I let Mark do all the talking, Lisa and everybody else. And then he looked at me and said, are you doing okay? I said, yeah, I'm just listening. I found out you can learn a lot if you'll shut up and listen. Thank you, Justin. So we were, Lisa and I were out with a, with a friend and I sat and listened to him talk about himself for one solid hour. And I thought, thank God I'm not that dumb anymore. <laughs> I really did think that. And the next time I went out with him, he talked about himself again for one hour. And I went, that's, a, that's one of the dumbest things. Just to sit and talk about yourself nonstop for one solid hour. Think about being married now. When the only person who has a right in the house to talk, say anything is you. You're never going to learn anything. Sometimes you want to let your spouse open up and go, talk. What do you have? What do you think about that? You'd be surprised at how smart the person you married is. Lisa has way more good than the few things I haven't trained her in yet. I said that in front of Mary Fran one day, and she told Lisa that we ought to stop the truck and put me out. <laughs> but it is true. It is very true. So I'm going to be done here in a minute with my 
few minutes. Marriage is based a lot on, on being able to talk, have communication. And loving, loving your wife has a lot to do with talking to her and listening to what she has to say. Because if you really care about her, you do want to know what she thinks. You do want to know if you're doing things. So I'm going to tell you one story. One day I came home. I don't know where I'd been. But I walked in the kitchen. I walked through the kitchen into the living room. And all of a sudden I hear this scream coming out of the kitchen. Who brought mud in this house? And I looked down at my feet. And I don't know why my boots decided to drop it when I get in the house. And there was boot prints all the way to the door. Do you know what I said? I'm sorry, I'll sweep it up. Boy, I thought y'all would enjoy that. (laughs) This is to be continued. When you're wrong, you're wrong. We'll make a big deal out of it. We have a problem in this nation. Somehow or another, our egos have gotten so big. When someone looks at us and says, what you did is not right, we want to defend ourselves even when we don't know what we're talking about. How are you ever going to know anything if you're always right? So don't be this person that talks with fingers in your ears. Pull the fingers out of your ears when you get in a conversation. Amen. I'm done. Happy Valentine's Day. You got this? This may not be sound exactly like what I was saying. She's going to go another direction, but. Are we too close to each other? We are. We're, ta- we're way too close. Oh. Whoa, that's weird. I sound like I'm in a drum. Y'all can fix that. Praise the Lord. Justin, would you put that on fan instead of circulate? Um, so my, my issue was it wasn't Walmart. It was Walgreens. <laughs> and I wasn't in there for 30 minutes. But I will say, I will say this. Uh, I think that the cutting close time was just cutting close, you know, with the movie and the reservations. But at that time in my life, Jordan was a little baby, and I was carrying him around in a carrier, those big, heavy carriers. So as they get heavier, you know, your back just breaks under that. And they have better inventions out now. But um, you're waiting to see whether you want to go back to your office or you, whether you want to sit. He's like, let me see what she has to say. Let me hear what she has to say. And so I'm carrying him around. So I just gave up. Once I had Jordan, I gave up trying to go out during the day because it didn't work. With two other little ones that were only two years apart, you know, they're running around. So I've got hands. I've got a carrier. I've got another boy I'm watching. It's just, I just gave up trying to get things I needed done. So when he said he's taking me out, I'm like, yes, I get to drop clothes off at the cleaners. I get to go into Walgreens. It was, it was two things, but yeah, we were late and it was a terrible night. We just stood, <laughs> we just stared across the dinner. We did have dinner, the reservation, it, it wasn't up, but the movie was gone. <laughs> we just stared at each other and like, okay, well, um, Maybe I'll just never go shopping again until five years from now. I, I, I don't know. But in my defense, whenever he did let me go out and he watched the boys, he was always calling me, when are you going to be home? And I was only gone for 30 minutes. She was like, I cannot clean another poopy diaper. I cannot another, another screaming kid. You got to get home to these babies. And so I was like, he didn't let me out for long. So I decided I'll just go out with you when we go together. (laughs) Anyways, it is true. It is true. Partly. But anyways, I want to read you or tell you slash read you a love story. This is Valentine. This is the love day, right? The love night. But I want to read you a story. I want to tell you a story. I'm going to talk fast because you can hear her a lot faster than I can talk. And so this story, I think, is the best story in the Bible. That's just my opinion. Maybe not your opinion, but because we don't always have, not everybody in here is married, right? We have friends. We have people, different, different, you know, uh, different companions, different things in life. Not everybody's married, but this love story 
will appeal to all. It's an amazing love story. It is about Ruth. It's in the book of Ruth. And so I'm going to start. There's only four chapters. I said, I'm going to read a love story. He's like, you're going to read a love story? I said, you read to them all the time. You got your eyes glued to Rick Renner and Brother Hagen. I'm like, I can't read a love story out of the Bible. He's like, the whole story? I'm like, it only has four chapters in this book. He's like, oh, I thought you were going to read the whole, like, like 12 chapters of Judges or something. I'm like, no. <laughs> and so, but the story starts like this. And as you listen to the story, I want you to see Christ in the church. Because I believe God put this in here for us as an example to see how Christ dealt with the church and how much Christ Jesus loves the church. And so the story starts out in chapter 1, which I'm not going to read. It starts out in chapter 1 where a Jewish woman by the name of Naomi is married to a Jewish man by the name of Ahimelech. And so Ahimelech, the, there, was a, there was a famine in the land of Canaan. There was, a, there was a famine in the land of Israel. And so they had to move. They had to find food. They had to find water, you know, all that. And they moved to the land of Moab. Well, while they moved to the land of Moab to find food and to grow food, Ahimelech dies. Naomi's husband dies. And so, but they had two sons, Chilion and Malon, and they married two Moabite women. And so the Moabites were not on good terms with the Israelites, but they had to go somewhere. They had to get food, and they just decided to travel that. And so that, they're not the be, in best standing, but they, that's who their sons married were two Moabite women. One's name was Ruth. One's name was Orpha. And so in time... They lived 10 years with Naomi and Ahimelech. The, the girls did with their husbands, all lived under one roof, basically, same land, whatever. And so, but in time, the two husbands died. So Ahimelech, the husband of Naomi, dies. And then the two sons that were married to the Moabite women, they die. Later on, some, some other chapter in the Bible, I think those boys went to war and they died in war. And so... Here we got Naomi and two daughter-in-laws. She's a Jew. They're Moabites. And she looks at them. She hears that there is bread back in the land of the living, the land of Israel. And she's like, I'm going home. This is not where I belong. And so she looks at her two daughter-in-laws and she says, go home. Go home to your mom and your dad, your mother, your dad, your heritage. And you have been wonderful daughter-in-laws to me but I release you, go home to your parents. Your husbands are dead, my husband is dead, and she's just like sets off to go home to Israel. And they kind of, no, we're going with you. They both said it, we're gonna go with you. And so they traveled with her a little and she turned around and said, go home. You don't owe this to me. You're wonderful, you've been wonderful. Go back to your mother and your family, your father, you know, your heritage in Moab. Orphus said, peace out. And Ruth said, I'm not going to go home. And basically she said, I don't want any part of my pagan heritage anymore. Your God's going to be my God. Where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. And your God is now forever my God. And I, I just love that about Ruth. Orpha left and went back to her mother and father. And there was no condemnation for that. But Ruth said, I'm going to follow your God. And the thing about Ruth following Naomi is that Ruth now is a Moabite and she's entering the land of Israel. Amen. And they're not real happy with Moabites coming in on their land. So she took a big chance going back with Naomi. But she said, I mean, look at the love there. I am going to be with you. And I'm going to love you, and I'm going to love your God. And so she picks up, and, and she goes with Naomi, and they're hungry. I mean, there's a lesson to be learned here. There is hope after devastating loss. When they arrive in Israel, Naomi, uh, Ruth, I mean, these are widows. They're both widows. And so they, they got their sole support from their husbands, their sole support from their husbands. And so she moves back. 
on land that is her husband's. Naomi had land that Ahimelech owned, and she moves back in that house, moves back on that land, Ruth with her, but they have no money, they have no food, and Ruth says, let me go out and do the harvester's fields. It was early spring, it was, the, it was the harvest of barley. She said, let me go roam through the fields and see if I can pick up some grain that the harvesters have left, and I'll bring it home, and we'll have something to eat. So they're barely surviving. And so she goes into those fields and she starts picking up the grain and bringing it home to Ruth. It just so happened, though, the first day that she went into that field, she happened upon a field of the man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz, what we learn later, was a near relative of Naomi's husband, Ahimelech. And so listen to this. Let's pick up in chapter 2. Right? Let's pick up in chapter 2. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. He was a relative of Naomi's husband, Ahimelech. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain, blah, blah, blah. I told you that. All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. It happened. She found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is the young woman over there? Who does she belong to? Okay, she's a young woman. And he says, who is the young woman? Who does she belong to? And the harvester said this. He said, Boaz went out... um, the, the foreman said, she asked me this morning, verse 6, if she could gather grain. I'm in the, new, I'm in the NLT, Ocel, so I don't know if you have that. New Living Translation. She asked, verse 7, she asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes she rests in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. When you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they've drawn from the well. He told her later, he said, don't go into the other fields as those Jewish men will harass you. Why will they harass her? Because she's a Moabite woman. And so right there shows a man who has character, who is loving, who is a type of Christ, and he's like, stay in my field, and I'll make sure you're taken care of, right? I've got your back. He doesn't even know this woman, but he, but he has actually started to hear about her. And so... Um, Boaz went, stay with us, don't go to any other field, stay right behind, see which part of the field they're harvesting, follow them. I've warned the young men, verse 8, to not treat you roughly. Now 9, and when you are thirsty, help yourself. Verse 10, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked, I am only a foreigner. What have we done to deserve such kindness from our Lord and Savior? In his loving kindness, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, in his great kindness with which he loved us. And here, I believe this is why this story is in the Bible. And so she said, what did I do to deserve this? Basically, I'm just a Moabite woman, and I'm not really looked well on you all here. Um, And so he said, yes, I know, verse 11. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done." You know what he said? He said, this is a big deal what you've done. You've left your heritage, turned your back on pagan gods, and said, I want the God of Israel. 
to be my God. He said, may the Lord reward you fully for doing that. So he's saying God's going to treat you just like he treats us. He's not going to make any differentiation between Israel and Moabite woman. Amen? And so she said, verse 13, I hope I continue to please you, sir. She replied, you have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, listen to the way he's treating her. Come eat at my table. Come over here, help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in sour wine. She sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted, and she still had some left over. The Lord says to you tonight, you can eat all you want at his table, and you can have some left over to share with someone else. Amen? This is a type and shadow of Jesus. Boaz is a type and shadow of Jesus, and Ruth is a type and shadow of the church. And so when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz, listen to this, verse 15, ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So he said, on purpose, while you're harvesting, take some heads out, throw them on the ground so she can pick them up and take them home to Naomi. That's love. Amen? And that's totally being taken care of. Listen, there is a lesson to be learned here. There is always hope in even the most devastating of times. Naomi lost her husband, and Ruth lost hers. Death would be, I guess you would say, the most devastating of things that could happen, the loss of a loved one. And so there's two losses going on here. And so they don't even have a job, and God is taking care of them. Amen? And so Ruth went back to work again. Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. Okay, verse 17. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town, showed it to her mother, told her, uh, her mother-in-law, and Ruth also gave her the roasted grain and on and on. So she said to her mother-in-law in verse 21, What's more, verse 20, he is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. That's what Naomi said. May the Lord bless him, verse 20. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, he is showing kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives. He is one of our family redeemers. So a family redeemer would be the next in line to marry you and to take care of you. Amen? What is Jesus called? He's called our Redeemer. And so I'm going to move on and not read word for word, but here's what happened. She continues to go out. This continues to happen. And finally, I don't know the exact time frame, but it wasn't a long time frame. Finally, Naomi looks at Ruth and says, it's time for you to have security. And this is what she told her. She, he is the closest of our kin that Naomi knew of. And so you need to have security, and we need to continue Ahimelech's name so you can have children. And so she, she loved Ruth, and Ruth loved her so much that Ruth t- did what she, her mother-in-law told her to do. She said, tonight, when you go to the threshing floor and you're drinking with the harvesters and you're eating, watch Boaz and watch where he lays after he's drunk and he goes to sleep because they didn't go back to their homes during harvest. They just slept in the threshing floor and rose the next morning to work. She said, keep your eye on Boaz and go and lay at his feet once he's asleep and uncover his feet. Now, 
I mean, that's definitely not our society. That's not the way we find a man or a woman. It's definitely not Bumble or eHarmony.com or, you know, city folks just don't get it. That's not the way we do things. You know, we don't go lay down at somebody's feet and uncover them. But that's, that's what she was told to do. Now, let me just say this. It is a very humbling thing to do something like that. To bring yourself to lie down on the threshing floor at somebody's feet. But you're going to notice in a minute where that gets her. And what I'm trying to say tonight is that if we will lie down on the threshing floor of Jesus and uncover his feet, that means his feet are on top of us, not in a dominion beating brutality way, but in other words, we're saying, I am under your feet. I am under your submission. Watch and wait what Jesus does for you much better even than what Boaz does for Ruth. So Naomi said, when he falls asleep, he's going to get drunk. When he falls asleep, watch where he lays. Go lay at his feet in the middle, you know, when it's dark so nobody sees you. When it's dark and uncover his feet. That's what she did. I'm not sure about the whole uncovering the feet thing. I didn't get a time to research it out. But, but I think that if it was me and someone uncovered my feet, I would know it. But he didn't know it, I guess, because he was drunk. So she uncovers his feet. She lies down at his feet. And at midnight, he's startled. I think God woke him up. And he wakes up and sees her lying at his feet. And, of course, it's dark. And he's like, Ah, what are you doing there? Who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your handmaiden. And so let's read this conversation in the middle of the night. You ready? All right. Verse 7 of chapter 3. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? Now, he already knew who Ruth was but he didn't know who she was in the dark. Okay, who are you, he asked. She says, I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Jesus, spread the covering of your blood over me, for you are my family's redeemer. This is a story of Christ and the church. She, She said, take your garment, take your cloak, Lay it over me, for you are our family's redeemer. This is the only way our name is going to go on. And so she says that to him. And he says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. Now, Boaz was considerably older than Ruth. I have no history to prove to you what age he was, but he was at least 30 to 40 years older than her. Okay, he could have married Naomi, but Naomi could not bear children at the age that she was. And, and so, as the story goes, she says, you are my family's redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. She was a young woman. Young women usually go after young men, whether they are rich or poor, and all the harvesters in the field were young men. And he says, you're showing even more loyalty to your family than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. She was a woman of great character. Who is Jesus Christ coming for? He's coming for his bride dressed in white. He says, everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. When Jesus returns, people in the world are going to know that we are a bride dressed in white. 
that there is going to be a distinction that we are going to be seen from the town as a virtuous woman. Amen? And so he goes on to say, but while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. This is in the dark. This is at five in the morning. It's still dark. He measured out six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to town. So she goes home and she tells Naomi everything that happened, right? And so Boaz goes to town that morning. Naomi told Ruth, Boaz is going to take care of this and he's going to take care of it quickly because he is a man of honor. And so he goes and sits in the city gate. He sits right at the gate and there's like 10 seats or whatever. He takes a seat. All the other elders that belong in some of those other seats, you know, he was of high status of stature or whatever. They sit down and, and when the man walks by that is the closest family redeemer, he pulls them off to the side and he, and he says, in front of these 10 witnesses, I need to tell you this story. Your closest kin, Ahimelech, is dead. And Naomi, his wife, is getting ready to sell her land. You, as the closest next of kin, has a right to buy this field and this land. And he says, okay, great, I'll buy it. He says, however, with the field comes Ruth. You must marry her so that she can bear children and she can carry on the last name and they can have land. And he said, nope, don't think I'm gonna do that. He says, I've already got my estate set. I don't want that to mess with what I've already got rolling on here. He says, you can have her. Do you think God was in this? He was in this. And so in order to do that, the way they did it back then, we do covenant, we do contracts, whatever. The guy that gave the rights away, takes his sandal off his foot, and he gives the sandal to Boaz, and Boaz takes his sandal, and in front of 10 witnesses, they all see that he gave up his rights to that plot of land and the right to marry Ruth. And so now Ruth belongs to Boaz. The, the beauty of this story is the fact that God all the time was working through to bring the lineage of David, right? Ruth, a Moabite woman, she is the great-grandmother of David, King David. So her and Boaz have a son named Obed, who has a son named Jesse, who has a son named David. So Ruth, a Moabite woman, a Gentile woman, not a Jewish woman, someone who pulled her eyes, put her eyes 100% and said, I forsake my family, I forsake my pagan heritage, and I'm going after the love of the God of Israel, and I'm going to love you, Naomi, and you're going to be my family, and your God is going to be my God. And God used Ruth to be in the lineage of Jesus being born. In that, that is a wonderful love story. I've never seen a great movie of that one done. Um, I'm sure if Rosie was here tonight, she'd probably point me to that movie somewhere. But I've never known of it. But it's a wonderful story of Christ in the church and how she took herself and she humbled herself down to the threshing floor. She was a poor, widowed outcast who was brought up to the throne. And so really the lessons to be learned on this, on this Valentine day, there is number one, there is always hope with God in the most devastating of times. Amen. 
which is loss. There's always hope. Number two, the past is not your final destination, and it is not your future divine. The past of whatever you've been through is not your final destination, and it is not your future defined. There is always a future that's bright and full of hope when you set your sights. 100% submit yourself to that winnowing threshing floor at the feet of Jesus and say, cover me in your cloak, cover me in your garment, cover me in your blood, and I will be yours. Amen. Amen? And so... You know, there's other things to be learned, but this is, this is the great redeemer. The great redeemer. God uses unlikely people for his purpose. She was a Moabite woman. She was poor. She was hurting. She was outcast. She was childless. She was a widow, and she was the enemy of Israel. Now let's go to Romans 5.10. Let's go to Romans 5.10. Can you get there? I think I'd just like to read it off the screen. Romans 5.10. I see my husband up there. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies to the cross of Christ. I love what God told Abraham way back in the day before he ever formed the Jewish nation. He said, Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Years ago, it's been a long time, there was a Jewish man. I love Jews. I went to Israel twice. But there was a Jewish Christian sitting at the table with my husband and I. I don't know if my husband was engaged in this conversation or not. But anyways, I remember this Jewish man looking at me going, I'm Jewish and I'm more special, even as a Christian, than you are. In so many words, in nice words. I didn't know enough 30-something years ago to go, no, you're not. No, you're not. I'm a Jew. Jesus, I knew enough to say, I said, listen, Jesus said you're a Jew if you're Jew inwardly. More of a Jew if I accepted Christ. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I know, but I'm the real blood Jew, so I'm double Jew, so I'm better than you. And I'm just like, I didn't know enough to like, like now I know a lot from Galatians and all of that. I can just like spend an hour with them. But the truth is, is I love the story of Ruth. She was an outcast and she was an enemy to Israel. And Boaz loved her. And just as we were without God, we were and alienated from God, and we were an outcast because of what Adam did. But through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, we were an enemy to God, and he brought us and reconciled back to him. Let's read Ephesians, and then we're going to pray. I love Ephesians. If you have a chance... Read that whole story word for word in like a New Living Translation, something other than the regular King James. It's such an easy read when you do that. Um, Verse 4, chapter 2, Ephesians. But God. Verse 2. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature... By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. Just like everyone else, we were like Moabites. I put that in. Verse 4. But God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of this incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Amen. Say, I've been united with Christ because of the kindness that he showed me. 
I submit to Christ Jesus. I bring myself to the winnowing threshing floor and I lay at the feet of Jesus and I allow him to cover me with the cloak and the garment of blood. I receive the shed blood of Jesus in my life on this Valentine night. And Jesus, because you loved me, I can love others the same way. Whether it's marriage, whether it's just friendships, I can always agape and see them for who they can become. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big Give Now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.